This is Momming While Feminist. Feminist. We're here to have authentic, open-minded, hopeful, and maybe even helpful conversation about being a mom in a world where gender inequality and misogyny are everywhere. We want our parenting decisions to reflect our values as feminists, but that's not easy, so we need to talk about it. Welcome. Welcome. I'm Lisa. And I'm Lindsay. I have two sons, ages five and seven, and a daughter, age two. And I have two daughters, ages three and six. It is our third episode, and it's our first episode with a guest. Today we have, yeah, today we have Clara. Hi, Clara. Hi. Clara lives in Arizona with her husband and her two sons, ages one and almost three. She says her most important job title is mom. She is also founder and CEO of Strong Growth Strategies, a company that manages projects, IT, and facilities, especially Native American business development and Native American engagement for federal agencies and tribal clients. And she has a long and impressive resume, uh, including serving as chief of staff for the Navajo Nation Office of President. We asked Claire to talk to us today because she has a special knack for calling out gender inequity in the way women talk about themselves and other women. Right now, it seems especially important for moms to cultivate some deep inner confidence and positive self-talk. And when you see Clara, you think, where does she get that confidence? Give me a dose of that. So we are so happy to have you here, Clara. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. We're going we're gonna to get to the heart of what we want to talk about and not do too much like get to know you stuff, but we have some rest sure. to get to know you just for fun. So, okay. Okay. The fictional character, the best of represents your parenting style is? I would probably have to say Bob's Burgers, Linda, Linda from Bob's Burgers. I really enjoy her style of parenting. She's so funny. I don't know if you watch Bob's Burgers. I don't. I'm definitely going to check it out now. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. My, your mother was right about? She was right about uh, me not knowing anything at various ages, you know, um, when you think you know it all and then you, in retrospect, go, wow, I didn't really know anything. So she was definitely right about that. That's funny. Um, Sesame Street should have a show about... Gosh, what have they not covered, honestly? Sesame Street has covered so many things. Uh, food deserts would be really cool if they could cover, and I don't know if they have, but that might be really cool because, you know, they're kind of like based in the city type of thing, and food deserts are a real thing in cities and rural areas. That would be really interesting. That would be. When my kids are grown, when your kids are grown, you will not miss. I will not miss randomly getting injured by my children, even though they're only one and two. They have like this capacity to just like give you a, a little heel across the bridge of your nose or scratch your face to holy hell. Like it's just, you know, or just like punch you, punch you in the boob, you know? So I will not miss that part. Everything else I will miss, but being injured by these little crazy, you know, balls of muscle and energy, I will not miss. You're so right. You're so <laughs> yeah. right. That does happen. Yeah. The best bedtime stories include? Um, less than 10 minutes <laughs> time-wise. <laughs> <laughs> because they're at the age right now, especially Joey, that wants to repeat the story. So the shorter it is and the more times I can repeat it, the happier he is. Yep. 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 Absolutely. That's really funny. Why didn't somebody tell me about? Everything about childbirth. Like now it's becoming really well known. Like you're seeing all these Instagram posts of women wearing diapers. Nobody told me that. And that was just a few years ago. Nobody was like, hey, you're going to have to wear a diaper for a couple weeks. Yeah, that would have been nice to know. Yeah, I still never know when I'm going to pee myself. Well, that's like, true. Like, it could happen anytime. Yeah, I have to laugh at that. Everybody's like, 
you, if you could have three things, what would it be? And one of them was like bladder control. And I just could not stop laughing. That was like a top choice in one of these surveys. I'm with you. Okay. And when you look into your child's eyes, you see hope, hope for everything, hope that we can be better coming through this. And I saw a great quote and said, we shouldn't strive to get back to normal. Normal was never the greatest. We should strive to get back to better than we ever were. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get started on our topic, we share our feminist crushes. So my feminist crush for this week is a song. It's the song Bitch, uh, from that the remake of the song Bitch, and that was in uh, the, sh- the Hulu show Little Fires Everywhere. So it was remade by a woman named Ruby, and her last name, uh, I'm, I, I'm not sure I can say it right, so I'll spell it A-M-A-N-F-U. Uh, and it's just is beautiful. So this song came out in like 1997 by Meredith Brooks. It was like really poppy. I didn't like it back then. But this version of it, sung by Ruby, is just soulful and unapologetic. And the lyrics are great. And I just, I just love it. And so I've been listening to it a lot. Um, so yeah, that's my feminist crush for the week. Oh my gosh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely checking that out. I'm gonna have to listen to that. Yeah. So um, okay, so mine is this blog. It's create like a mother dot blog, and it's by someone who happens to be a high school friend of mine. Her blog is about reconciling becoming a mom with that feeling then that there's less time and less space to be a creating person, like an artist or a writer or whatever it is you do. That those identities kind of um, get lost. She is just a beautiful writer. Like, she can capture some of the most complicated things I feel about being a mother in just, like, one perfect, elegant sentence where I'm like, oh, my God, you nailed it. Anyway, so I really love it. And she has a series where she interviews artists and creators about how they do it while being a mom. And I just love that she's kind of fostering that and embracing that. That's awesome. So, Claire, what's your feminist crush of the week? My feminist crush is a person. I really enjoy her. Ashley Graham. She is just so fun. She's the plus-size model, um, and she just really radiates body positivity. She has her own swimsuit line. But the the thing about – and she just recently became a mom, so she's got a newborn. And the thing – and I've always thought she was really cool before, but her journey into being, you know, a new mom and new motherhood has been really cool. Just kind of watching her reconcile that with being, like, a swimsuit model and an unconventional swimsuit model at that. And she's just, like, always out in public, like, nursing her baby, you know, unapologetically. And people are just calling her out for being who she is, and she doesn't care. And I just love that about her. That's awesome. I need to follow her. Check her out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, she's great. So like Lisa mentioned, we're going to be talking about uh, issues related to self-confidence and inner self-talk and how it intersects with um, our identities as mothers and uh, uh, feminism as well. And so I'm going to start us off with a quiz Okay. to get some background knowledge on this. Okay. By the way, Clara, I get every question wrong. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) It's all all for, for demonstrating a point. It's all okay. Okay, so the first question, true or false, adult women generally report lower levels of confidence than adult men do. True. True. Okay, so this is actually, depends on which study you look at. So there is a lot of research that shows that there is a confidence gap between men and women, but there has actually been some other studies that have shown there's there's no difference. Um, where the difference lies is it is the extent to which others perceive a woman as self-confident. Well, that was really interesting, but this is actually pretty controversial, um, mm. and this is definitely one of those area of feminism that there's a lot of debate about, like, where... 
um, the confident where if there is a confidence gap, where it comes from um, and what it means. So, um, yeah, quite a controversial topic. Okay, next question. True or false, women are less likely to get raises at work than men are because women are less likely to ask for raises. True. True. So according to some, according to some studies, this is actually false as well. Um, the studies that say Lindsay. because there's, a, <laughs> there's an assumption that, that so a lot of there's a lot of these assumptions that have come out in some of these books about how like lean in and for example that the reason women aren't getting more raises is because they're not asking for it. But this study, um, and I'll link to it in the show notes, found um, that women are asking as much. And of course, this depends on context and whatnot, but in this one study are asking just as much, but they're just not getting it as much. So what this oh. kind of shows us is this like balance between mm. the like internal and the external um, and how um, and this like this debate within like how much of uh, a, a patriarchy is is we're internalizing these norms that we've been taught and we've been socialized as women and, and girls to be submissive, as well as in how much are they continuing to be perpetuated just because of the way we're being treated by people um, and institutions on the outside. Okay, last question. Um, does women's self-esteem increase or decrease during the first three years after giving birth? Mm. I, you know, I don't, I'm going to say increase. Yeah, I read the article, so I know this one. Well, it's actually both. So <laughs> I'm giving you trick questions. All these questions. I know. <laughs> you are. Um, <laughs> you know, this is complicated stuff, y'all. Um, so actually, so before birth, self-esteem actually decreases during pregnancy just because of all of the like overwhelm and like anxiety around, um, giving birth and all the pressure and things that we're supposed to think about and do when we have, we're growing a baby inside. Especially, and the I way guess, everyone the, acts like they like own your body. Right. Exactly. It, then it does increase usually in the first six months after birth, which they think is because that's when you're like, you know, I can do this. Like you find this like confidence and, and, uh and what you're doing, um, and how quickly you learn. Um, but then they found that it gradually decreases over the following years until about three years. But this depends on, um, is like correlated with the level of satisfaction with their partners. Um, so, and that has a, has a big role to play. And I think this is, the study was probably mainly looking at heterosexual couples, um, has uh, a big role to play in whether that self-esteem increases or decreases. You know, it's really interesting because I think that as, as women and depending on what, you know, decade we were born in and, you know, where we're, where we are today, it's interesting to see how self-confidence and self-esteem is really, um, a product of that which we are surrounded by. So if our partner is supportive, if we have, if we're getting good messages, um, it's not easy because I don't think it's ever easy. The world is easy. It's easy to self-doubt, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But it's, it's interesting that there's so much, so many variables around what kind of environment you surround yourself with. Um, you know, personally, I was extremely, extremely shy all through growing up, completely would not talk to people. I mean, even my body language, I would always be like kind of hunched over all through, you know, junior high, high school, the whole nine and just changing environments and being in a different place and being surrounded by different types of people really changed uh, my own self-confidence in a big way. And so moving back to, 
Arizona where I was very self-conscious and very kind of, you know, in my shell as a different person almost is really, it's, it's kind of intriguing. Like, why was I so scared of everything? <laughs> why was I so terrified to be myself? Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. I think that really speaks to you, the idea that there's like an external and an internal thing because um, I feel like I have good supportive people around me and I'm in a okay place but I've spent so long with like negative programming that some of that doubt is now just like part of my default monologue and I have to be really 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 intentional to catch it and be like uh is that is that true what you're telling yourself or is it a maybe you know or like so it's yeah it's really I think I think your story kind of really captures the the fact that it's you know, this external and internal thing kind of happening all at once, like, like you said, Lindsay. How does self-doubt show up for you as a mom? And how does it, how is it impacting your life? You know, for me, self-doubt is about, and I think a lot of moms face this, you just wonder, are you doing the right thing as a parent? Am I being, you know, what, what, what is a good, quote unquote, good mom? And we face this more recently, especially during this time of, of COVID and, you know, self-isolation. Um, Joey had been having some really difficulty in daycare and out of necessity, he was in daycare, um, you know, for half the day, five days a week because of work stuff and just acting out behavior wise and, you know, biting, pushing, you know, the whole nine. And I just really started to doubt, like, what am I doing wrong? Like how, why am I raising like a serial Oh my God. I've so had this exact same thing, Clara. Right. And you're just like, and there were many times you just like sob and you're like, what am, how do I fix this? Right. And then it kind of happened again because once we're home, I notice a huge difference in his behavior. Like he's much more gentle, much more, you know, you want, he's willing to play. I mean, he still has his rough moments with his little brother, but then I like had the sob all over again. Like, oh my God, were we just subjecting him to the worst thing ever by putting him in daycare because his behavior was so bad. Like it's just, there's no winning, you know? So I think self-doubt comes in when you're just, when you don't know, especially if it's your first child, you know, I've never raised a three-year-old. I don't know what they're supposed to be like. So you just start doubting, am I being a good mom? Am I setting a good example? And Joe and I are both really loud talkers. (laughs) And so we have this habit of talking really loudly at each other. And Joey like put up his little hands and he goes, stop fighting. And it just broke my little heart. Like we're not fighting baby. So things like that, where you just start to doubt and you start to think like, you know, am I doing the right thing? And, um, certainly moving back home, we had this huge question of, is it good to move back home? And then when we left the reservation about a year and a half ago, I really had some doubt about whether leaving the reservation for a border town was the right thing to do because it was removing him from the reservation. But there were just so many elements to that decision that, you know, I think every day you just, you have a question about whether you're doing the right thing or not. Yeah. What, do you what think about you, Lisa? Well, so I think that that's absolutely true. I think that that's absolutely true. Um, I, I kind of thought of it at a slightly different angle, and I'd be really interested to hear what, what you guys say, because I think um, one of the things I hear in what you're saying, and you can tell me if this is right, Clara, but I think there's a real sense of, like, something is right or wrong. And, yes, um, yes. I am so, which is something, like, I think if you can unpack the thinking, then, then the self-doubt gets a little bit 
like it's less like I'm right or wrong. It's more like, huh, I'm on the fence. Let me think, you know, you're less judgmental about your own decision making. Right, right. And the reason I mention that is because I am so like, this is good or bad, mm-hmm. right or wrong, that I make decisions quickly. And I'm not the kind of person who waffles very much or, but then what happens instead for me is that because there still is that self-doubt, because there, there is no right or wrong, I often project it onto other people and assume they're judging me. So the way that I catch myself doubting myself most often is by being like, they probably think blah, 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 blah. Or she probably thinks blah, 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 whatever it is. Today, I texted friends to say my daughter was scared when we went outside because we've been going outside so infrequently with coronavirus. She's outside, you know, 30 minutes a day. And as soon as I texted, I was like, everyone's going to think I'm a horrible mom who doesn't take her kid outside. Right? What was that really? That was really me saying, gosh, it's hard. To, if, when I stop and thought about it, what I'm really saying to myself is, gosh, it's hard to know how much to take your kid outside. It's hard to know when it's safe. It's hard to know how, how much outside time is enough. I'm trying to balance. Do I have the energy to take them outside? Do I want to fight with her over the mask? Blah, 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 blah. But I don't think of it like that. I just think of it as like a decision that needed to be made. And then I'm just going to project all of this mean stuff that through other people that I'm really saying to myself. Does that, so like it's important for me to recognize that because now that I've recognized it, the minute I decide what someone else is thinking, I'm like, stop. You've got to write this down. You've got to think this through. You're really being mean to yourself through your friends. That's not cool. Like, don't treat my friend Lisa yeah, that way. Yeah. Lisa, that's so funny you use that yeah, story because yeah. I felt like that same thing happened to me today. It was such a gorgeous day. I really wanted to take my kids to pick strawberries, but I also had a ton of anxiety about that and like being around people and bathrooms and everything. And then they didn't want to go. And so, and I couldn't get them to go outside and I was just feeling so, I was so down on myself because I like, I couldn't get them to go outside and I was so tired and I fell asleep during their like quiet time. And so then they woke up and they went and, or then they got up and went and got my husband who was on a work call and he was like, you got to get these kids. He was like, just put on a movie. You don't have to take them outside. You're tired. Put on a movie. And like, I was like. Okay. It's like I really <laughs> needed that permission from somebody else to tell me that it was okay to put on this movie, <laughs> even though it was so gorgeous outside and my kids hadn't been outside all day. And, um, and so I did. But yeah, it's like that. Yeah. So I, I totally feel that example. Um, there's another one where um, there's this article in the Washington Post the other day about um, a couple, my, my husband found it and he, he said, there's an article in the post about us today. <laughs> he said, it's like a couple and they have two kids, ages three and six, um, just like us. And they're working from home with trying to teach their kids. And the three-year-old says poopy head all the time, just like our kid. So he shows it to me. And the first thing I do, I, I read that the mom wakes up at 5am to go exercise. So well, so I don't wake up at 5am. I sleep till 730. <laughs> and he's like, well, that wasn't why I was showing it to you. Like, the first thing you do is find a way to compare yourself and how you're not as good as this other mom. So that's where things show up for me is this sort of like comparison that I'm not doing it, doing what I should be mm. doing. The shoulds. I'm not doing it good enough. Yeah. The shoulds, yeah. right? Yeah. In your opinion, how is this a gender or feminist issue? 
you know, I think it's a gender feminist issue just because we are so hard on ourselves. I don't know that men have that same thing, that same sort of, um, cause Joe, he follows like all these, you know, amazing people on Instagram that he aspires to be like, and they inspire him. They don't make him shrink from himself the way I feel like sometimes I do with people who are aspirational. I'm like, oh, wow, I could never do that. I could never be like that. That's incredible. Instead of like pushing me forward to be like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Let me do that. Sometimes it can be intimidating. And I don't know if that's just a, it, you know, as women we're, we're programmed that way. I don't think so. I think it's a, a product mm, of our yeah. environment. Well, and it's like, anything. I wonder if, I wonder if the images that Joe is seeing, like they're aspirational, whereas I think sometimes the women, the images that women see are not just aspirational, but like impossible. They're impossible. That's right. That's right. I mean, you're still looking, if he's like looking at a bodybuilder, it still looks like a human being, you know? And if I'm looking at like uh, an airbrushed cover of something, it doesn't, it's not, it's not something that's attainable in reality, right. and, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love seeing those, uh, I love seeing those Photoshop fails. I, I do enjoy the Photoshop fail <laughs> websites where they show like, how is this possible? If this, if this woman's neck was this long, if you looked at her from this angle, she would look like this. And you're like, that's clearly not correct. Like, that's interesting. Happened. I haven't seen that one. It, I do think it's disproportionate the way um, moms have this, carry this burden of, of self-doubt in ways that that dads again and heter- and we're, we're primarily talking about heterosexual couples then that they don't i mean and for me i think it comes from like from the beginning and and actually that statistic about the self-esteem and how our self-esteem goes down when we're pregnant because the burden is put on us it's like we are we go to the doctor they tell us this is what you can do this is what you can't do and it's all on us um it's not put on our community to like support us and to help us and to like lift us up so that we can actually do that. And we're still expected to go about our lives in the same way and keep going to, you know, if we have a job, keep going to the job the same amount of time and, and whatnot. Um, and then, and that burden continues, especially again in the US where we, and I feel like I talk about this every episode, but like the lack of parental leave and then where is parental leave, moms tend to take it more than dads. So we continue to get that burden. And then the other thing is that we get these messages, you know, ever since we were little girls, like I went to baby showers with my mom sometimes, um, we, uh, or, or talking with other moms, like we're getting a lot of this knowledge and information about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, like much more frequently before we even have kids than our, than, than our husbands are. And so like we come into it with this sort of like already having these like debates, right? Um, so, uh, and, and because of, and, and they don't, and they don't have that coming into it. So for me, I think that's where a lot of it, a lot of it comes from. Mm, I think that's really interesting because I feel like there's, there's something to unpack there in terms of the pressure, the societal pressure. I don't, it, it feels to have increased to me because you're not expected to just have one job anymore. In, in a lot of ways, we have multiple jobs. We work, many of us work outside the home. Um, we, we do other things, but we still have that entire at home job to do as well. And it's like this mixed message, like you're, you're not a good mom if you're working all the time, but you're also not being a great mom if you're just a stay at home mom, you know, it's like this, it's, it's, you can't win either way. And so what you end up doing is just being like, well, I have to do both. And I have to be like, I have to be June Cleaver when I get home 
Um, and I feel like I personally carry a lot of antiquated ideas of what it is to be a good mom and a good wife in my own brain. And I know that that's from, you know, from programming. And I remember one of the first things, like my mom is incredibly strong. She like helped my dad build up his businesses. You know, she rides horses. She used to like rope cattle. But one of the first things she ever told me was, if you don't know how to make bread, you'll never keep a man. Um, and I just thought that was so interesting that there's this, you know, incredibly strong, but because she had to do it all, right? She had to be that person that made fresh tortillas every single night, but she also had to be this like strong workaholic outside the home. And that has translated to me also kind of having that. And it's like, you just, you, you work and you work and you work and you work and there's just, you know, and hopefully that's changing through time, you know, that we, we stop passing on that kind of overt pressure of what it is to be the right kind of mom or wife. And, you know, there, the, the more you talk about it and the more it comes out in the open, like these kinds of topics and podcasts, the, I think it's super important just to be like, Hey, guess what? I don't make bread every night. My husband's still here and it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So here's a reality check. Mothers who are in the workforce today or as of 2010 are spending as much time with their children as full-time stay-at-home mothers did in the early 1970s, like looking at time use studies. So then the amount of time that both moms and dads are spending with their kids has increased from the 1960s through 2010. Fathers have gone from 2.6 hours to 7.2 and mothers from 10.5 hours to 13.7. So moms are actually spending more time with their kids today than they did in the like 1960s and 1970s when there was when they were less likely to be in the workforce. Um, dads are too, but still not as much as moms. Well, are. and now they have more like they have more they have jobs, right? Yeah, more than they ever right. had before. Yeah, and yet we point. still yeah. we still Doing feel more. like, especially moms who have who who have jobs and aren't um, full time moms with their kids, feel this pressure that we're not spending enough enough time with the kids. Like I think I mentioned on another episode, I feel my husband and I split pick up from school, but I feel immense more pressure to pick up my kids earlier and take them to activities than he does. He's just like, I get out at five. That's when I get out. And I rearrange my schedule so that I can get out earlier and spend that extra time. And my husband, my husband is like, look at the evidence. They're okay. They're fine. They're nice kids. I like them. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't care about the evidence. I need to, I need to say I bled in order to raise these kids or it doesn't count. Like, right, exactly. We just like want to, we want to, you know, what is that called? You want to like self right? flagellate yourself over and over and be like, that is evidence that I'm a good mom. And it's so funny because the other night, like Joey was tired and I was tired. And I was like, but we didn't do anything in his activity book today. You know, I was like crazy mom. Like, oh my God, we, we, we were lacking in his like little curriculum and I'm going to miss it today. And he's tired. I'm tired. But I was like, no, let's just get at least through these letters right here. I mean, he's not right, even three right. yet, you know, and it's this immense pressure to like... Um, you know, have these kids perform because you want them to be great. And I'm like, well, if you don't learn your ABCs, like by the end of this quarantine, I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> right, with you. Right. Like, this is crazy. You yeah, know? no, it's crazy. <laughs> something both of you guys said really, really raised something for me that makes me wonder, which is it's not just like once you become mothers, there's a whole lot of pressure put on you. It's also that the whole, your whole life, you're kind of being taught that you're going to be a mother. And that your value is going to be through being a mother. 
And I remember people telling me like, oh my gosh, you're going to be such a mother and you have such mommy instincts. And my sisters were always told me like, oh, yeah. of course you're going to be a mom. And uh, since having kids, I've really questioned whether I should have done it. And it's not even me putting it myself down. There's definitely that. There's like, I shouldn't be a mom because look at what I'm doing. I'm horrible. <laughs> but there's also like, maybe I shouldn't have been a mom because I don't want to sacrifice my job. I am an overachiever and I love my job and I want to kick ass at it. And I'm upset that I have to do that. And maybe I shouldn't have been a mom because I don't like spending time with kids. I like to be alone. And I think if, as long as that exists, then like, how could you not feel like a failure as soon as you become a mom? And if that's where we've been told, socialized to see that that's our value, that's a huge amount of pressure. And if you compare where that pressure, the messages that um, men are getting, that like my husband got, being a father was probably, was not, well, I don't know. I shouldn't speak for him, but I have a sense that it wasn't emphasized as much for and I'm, I'm like you Lisa I'm I really value being alone and there's times when I'm just like oh my god what did I do I'm, I'm I like alone time and now I'm a mom you're, you're never alone you know you've got little fingers coming under the bathroom door I mean you're never right. alone if you get that kind of privacy right <laughs> right and it goes back to for me it goes back to right or wrong thinking because it's either like either I was born to be a mother and I better love every freaking second of this and I better cherish right. it because it's going to be over so soon or I wasn't meant to be a mother. I shouldn't have done this. Right. Versus maybe there's a gradient right. in the middle of like some days maybe I'm just not the greatest and maybe tomorrow will be right. better. And know? I'm a good enough mom. Like, yeah. so it's really interesting. All right. Well, I, I'm curious to hear from you guys like how this shows up for you in different communities. Like is this exacerbated in certain places? Where do you find your peace? Where do you find your biggest self-doubt? How is this affecting you in different spaces? I think it's really interesting coming from a Native American matrilineal society that has a very high value placed on women in the family um, structure, because in Navajo culture, women are really, really important and, you know, primary decision makers in the home and that sort of thing. So <clears throat> I think that it's been really lucky for me to be in that environment because um, the support is incredible and it was a big decision as to why I moved home because I knew that there would be that support and you know my mom is one of 12 children eight of whom are women so like there's you know never a lack of of motherly instinct around but I think in that because they're the primary decision makers they're all they're also looked at to be the primary everything in terms of um decision-making, um, child-rearing, um, sometimes the primary income generator, all of these various things. It's the pressure is immense for, for these women. Um, and then you exacerbate that with, you know, all kinds of other um, things in Native American communities, uh, you know, incarceration rates, you know, single motherhood being really prevalent. And it becomes like this thing where not that the, the men matter, of course, and it's really important to have that structure of, you know, the, the family in place, how, whatever that looks like. But I think in these, in these cultures, you have a little bit more room and flexibility because people live in these clustered kind of living situations. So 
you're never really by yourself. So if there's the absence of a parent, it's not really a big deal because you have other people that you can rely on to help raise your children. So there's like blessing and a curse, you know, it's, it's our burden as women to kind of do everything. But at the same time, there's many of us who kind of raise each other's children in that environment. If that makes any did sense. That, so did that impact your reason to leave Washington, D.C.? Absolutely. I think it was a big part of my decision making in terms of um, culture and identity because I'm half Navajo and I really didn't. There's a whole nother ball of like uh, reverse racism and everything in that in that, you know, identity as a as being half Navajo and how that really impacted my life and not being fully accepted in my perspective by both either side um, and not wanting my children to become alienated and ostracized from the native community I wanted them to have that identity and to be enrolled and to be it would be much easier for them to be accepted if they grew up on or near the reservation versus if they grew up in the city and they happened to be enrolled you know the cultural fluency wouldn't be the same so that was a huge part of it but also just because you know my mom and my aunts and my cousins are all here and um we can all support each other although I'm now two hours away which is a whole other kettle of fish but uh you know, it's still closer than Washington, right. D.C. I find sure. that, especially in Washington, D.C., you meet just a lot of people isolated from their families who are, like, raising their kids oh, basically yeah. by themselves. And they have well, to create families, right, of themselves. other parents and things. You, but I mean, that's how, that's how you that's are. That's how we are. Yeah. yeah. But it's, which is fine, yeah. like, you can create families, but what you don't necessarily have, and this is the, when I was asking about different spaces, this is the one that, that really came to mind for me, is um, people in other generations. How important that is for Mm. women's self-confidence to have women who have been through it. And it's great to have your mother, but I think you need more than that. And Mm. just being able to talk to other women and hear that it's all gonna be okay. And I, you know, when you're with Mm -hmm. other women with same age children, it's just a huge, what you often hear is a lot of self-doubt. like. You're like, I really feel crappy right. about this decision. And the, the women you're talking to are like, me too. You don't have someone to be like, yeah, ladies, it's ladies, like, ladies. You're going to be fine. Don't talk to yourself that way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny that you say yeah. that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm one of those. We don't have any family nearby. Closest family is in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, which is like a five-hour drive without traffic. Um, and um, so, so I remember... After in the, in the beginning, after we had our first child, was really quite difficult because I really noticed that sense of loneliness. None of our friends at the time had kids. Um, just really noticed how just very alone we felt in terms of not having that support. Later, I was talking with a friend who's a postpartum doula. And one of the things she pointed out to me is that she's noticed that an upside to that is because... I didn't have so much influence from um, families like telling me what to do that in some ways I may have been able to find my confidence as a mother and, and, and choose my own path easier because I didn't have that outside influence. So I thought that was an interesting perspective, like pros and cons to both sides. The other thing that's interesting in what you were saying, Lisa, is that I have taken a lot of time, put a lot of effort in like building up a community which I've done through um, a community of mom friends at, at a church that we go to and also neighbors in our neighborhood. And one in particular who has been really, really um, helpful to us. And, um, and we, 
we have kind of a partnership in the way we help each other out. I remember one of the things that I often have self-doubt about is food and like my kids eating the right stuff and whatnot. And she, her perspective, sometimes I'll be complaining. I'm like, yeah, they're eating all this mac and cheese. And she's like, at least they're eating. She said, just be happy they're eating. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so is she a, an older generation? Yeah, she's an older generation. Sorry, I didn't yeah. that out. Yeah, she's an older generation woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think about the stuff that our mothers fed us. I mean, my mother, like, I'm talking like late 70s, early 80s. I mean, it was <laughs> sugared cereals, TV dinners, you know, and yeah, somehow we managed to be okay. I mean, yes, I have food issues, but <laughs> right. don't we all? Um, but yeah, some days you're just like, oh my God, it's not non GMO, organic, applesauce. Is he going to grow a third eye? It's just ridiculous how much pressure we right. put on ourselves. Yeah. And I guess what the thing is, is like you just need to hear one other mom say something. Like mm-hmm. say the word GMO to be like, I suck. Yeah. I'm the worst. Right? Like what? I didn't even think like, about and, that. And right? it's like, okay. Yeah. So you never know when you're going to get hit with some kind of small example of someone mm-hmm. else like thinking of something you didn't think of recently to then feel like lousy. Right. Like do you yeah. ever have those moments? I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. They yeah. happen to me. I think every conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you do to combat the negative self-talk? Self-confidence I think comes from exercising self-care and self-love and self-forgiveness. I feel like that's a huge part of where confidence comes from. If you can say, you know what, it's not a big deal. Tomorrow or the next minute, it's going to be fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. That, to me, helps to build that confidence. Because when you start that self-doubt, at least for me, it comes from a place of, of not loving myself enough and not caring for myself enough. So I feel like that's a really big piece of that, you know, when we start to doubt, like just love yourself to, enough to know that the decision you're making is going to be an okay one. So, so can I ask you to, like, do you mind if I ask you about a concrete example? You can say if you don't want to. I'm just curious, sure. like, how does it play out um, with, like, when you were crying over Joey? So that's a really good question. So when I was crying over Joey and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this is just terrible. I was, I'm traumatizing him by taking him to daycare. I was just like, no, it's okay. You know, I, there are hundreds of thousands of children in daycare that are okay. He's going through something, his his brain is forming, you're okay as a mother, and either decision is going to be fine. To keep him home or to not keep him home after this is all over is going to be okay. You know, it just kind of being like, you're doing the best you can and that is good enough, you know? And I feel like constantly repeating that. You're doing the best you can. That's good enough. You're not abusive. You're not, you know, like starving your children. They've got everything they need. And then some, you know, you're you're okay. Everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Something else I heard you say earlier along that line is also almost like taking into account the circumstances. Like I'm working. I have, you know, like, or I'm like when you say I'm doing the best I can, you're acknowledging that like you're in the middle of a global pandemic or that you're right, really exhausted right. or I've heard you mention that a few times, like holding open space for both decisions to maybe be right, a little bit right yeah. and a little bit wrong. Yeah. And then also like acknowledging like there are real constraints here. 
And I think like just recognizing that I read somewhere and I wish I could remember who said it or attribute it correctly, but it has given me a lot of comfort. And, and it was um, when your children remember you being such a workaholic, because I, I consider myself to be a workaholic. I work a lot. What, what do you think that's, what do you think they're going to remember? You know? And I, and the thought process was the person asking the question was hoping the mother would say, Oh, well, you know, that's terrible. I feel badly or somehow put themselves down. And, and they said, you know what, I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to look at it and say, wow, my mom was a really hard worker and she taught me how to be a hard worker. And I just love that, like turning it positive. And so I think about that a lot and I think, well, yeah, I work a lot and I'm putting in all these hours, but I'm doing something that I love. And I hope they look at that and say, my mom did what she was supposed to do and she's happy doing Doing it and raised us to be really self-sufficient awesome kids that's awesome so I've been grappling with um, with this uh, this topic a little bit because what I I hesitate around is saying that the solution is to to just to be more self-confident to own your own decisions and to kind of push aside the the self-doubt is a radical act in itself. But I also think that we can't just put, I, 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 I'm cautious about just like putting this unfair burden on women to grapple with the self-doubt on us to solve ourselves. Um, because, because I think it's also important to acknowledge that this this doubt is happening by design. I mean, one of like uh, Clara, you mentioned you were talking about like beauty magazines and all of these things. That they show these images to us so that we feel insecure. So then we go out and buy their products. So this isn't just about patriarchy. Patriarchy. It's patriarchy and capitalism. So we go out and buy their products. It's the same thing with mom stuff. They want us to feel insecure about all these things. So we go out and buy their products or buy these new things, um, and. So I think by also recognizing that these like external forces that are like, I think can also, is is also important. And, um, and I think self-compassion is so important too, because if you, if you are grappling with self-doubt, like we are, um, also just being compassionate with yourself, that it's really hard to just it's not so easy to just be like, just to just own your own decisions, just become self-confident, like, because you're getting so much pressure from everywhere. Um, so I, so I also, I also want to acknowledge that piece of it too. I don't, wow. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I was experiencing this self-doubt and I was trying to deal with it by being like, no, I'm strong. I don't hear that doubt. But like, one of the things I've kind of learned is that actually I am way more likely to be okay if I actually engage with the thought and argue with the thought. I've been trying to live in the uncertainty and say, gosh, that was a really, and it, and it, and it ends up being a lot of self-compassion because I'm like, gosh, that was a really hard decision. You don't know what's right. I don't know. I get your point, Lindsay, about all these external factors, but like I, Lisa Ramish, have to learn to live with my own brain. And yeah. sometimes my brain is really yeah. mean and says horrible things. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's this, yeah, yeah, I agree. And the um, way I've learned to live with my brain is to not silence her, is to actually argue with her. Yeah. 
that's an incredible weight or burden to carry. Especially with all this going on with coronavirus, it's kind of like the caregiver um, in me just wants to fix everything. You know, I want to, I, I should be out there. I should be out there doing X, Y, and Z. I should be out there handing out food and water. And I should be out there with, you know, my family on the reservation. Like this is constantly in my brain. Um, and, and my husband said, you're with your children, you're keeping them safe and you're doing as much as you can. And you're staying in one spot, which is what we're supposed to be doing, you know, and it's sometimes you just have to hear somebody give you a different perspective. And a lot of times that doesn't come from inside my brain. I, I rely on sounding boards and, you know, and I think that's another thing that's hard about this right now is we're not in a social situation. I don't have that face-to-face -face network of support of friends and family that I would normally have. It's all the Zoom stuff and one other person in this household that's a that's a grown-up that's not going to argue with me about goldfish or whatever. Right. That's, that's a whole other set of pressure and can exacerbate this uh, the strain that we put on ourselves. Yeah, and I think your point about being, if you can share it with your husband or a friend, it kind of takes it out of a shame space to more of that, like, discussion space. Like, if you're able to say it out loud, then you have, someone can say, like, well, you're doing blank, 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 you know, and, like, yeah. but, hey. but as long as it's quiet or as long as you're right. trying to just, like, shut it down or deny it, then it, it feels really shameful. It's like any kind of bullying, right? Like, as long as it's secret yeah. and no one's calling it out, yeah. then it perpetuates. It's, it's more powerful. It's perpetual. And I think, and all of that, I, I guess the only other thing I would add to this is just that this, like, everything you just described, Lisa, is is emotional labor. Like what we talked about on the first episode, when we talk about different types of work and how, and that, that process is, is work. And so, um, I just think, I also just think it's important to acknowledge that as well. Yeah. I, well, okay. Last question then, I guess, how does this impact the way you raise your kids? I just, w w when we were talking a little bit ago about you know, family and stuff. And, and Lindsay was talking about not being around family and maybe that being a, um, an interesting dynamic in shaping who she is as a mother and finding her confidence. You know, I wasn't always close with my own mother and, you know, there was, uh, there's some, there was some strain there and some toxic behaviors and relationships. And I always think about that and how our relationship has changed and transformed over time and through years to where we are close now. Um, and I think I carry a lot of those uh, lessons learned about how to be um, forgiving, you know, and I don't think I was always very forgiving towards those that raised me. And so I, I, I try to be a very forgiving mother um, to everybody, like my children, my spouse, my parents, because um, I think becoming a mother, you kind of realize, oh, well, they didn't have it together. And I always think about this. I was like, man, she was 27 when I, when she had me, I can't imagine being a 27 year old mom. I, I was, became a mother much later. I was 39 and 40. Um, and I think, gosh, I wouldn't, I didn't have it together at 27. So this idea of, well, she didn't, wasn't like this, like this, like this, you know? So I think about that as I raise my children and I'm like, okay, well, hopefully they will give me some grace as well. And I can only expect them to give me grace if I give them grace, you know, and if I am patient with them. So I think just helping myself to be a patient mom, which isn't always easy for sure. Some, some moments are better than others, you know, but that's beautiful uh, just, though. You know, I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank you. 
Clara, how will you take care of my friend Clara this week? Oh gosh, I am probably not the best at self-care, but um, you know, I've, I've been trying to do things that I know I don't find super enjoyable at the moment that, they're, that I'm doing them, but they help me to feel better in the long term. Um, I've been trying to, and it, it's a little bit like punishment, but I know that the outcome is going to be good. You know, I've started to um, really be mindful of what I'm eating. Um, water, I'm terrible at drinking enough water. I mean, just like the basic stuff, it like comes down to the most basic stuff. It's like exercise, diet, drinking enough water, because I find that if I'm, you know, dehydrated and not well rested and, you know, everything, everything starts from the, like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's my big thing that I'm doing, taking care of my health. Wow. Cool. Lindsay, how are you going to take care of my friend this week? So I'm going to figure out a way to get some sort of extended break, uh, work it out with my husband within the coronavirus <laughs> confines. Um, I don't know. I've just really started to feel things taking a toll and I, and I need to find, um, I need to find some sort of way to keep myself from cracking <laughs> like you need so, a vacation somehow without actually taking a vacation yeah yeah but even if that means shaking up your schedule or whatever for exactly that's what yeah like maybe it's just and take one night where I don't do any of the dinner bedtime with kids yeah I just get a whole a whole night off you know a whole night off got it that's awesome. Well, mine seems really superficial compared to yours, too, but that's cool. Um, mine is to buy new underwear, the old guard, and then the new guard. Like, I bought new underwear, just a few nice new underwear, like, a few months ago. And now that I'm home, I'm really aware of the fact that the old guard needs to be retired. Like, it's not comfortable, and I've been wearing this uncomfortable underwear every day for many days just not noticing because I think we as women are used to discomfort like it's just like a part of life like getting squeezed getting pinched getting pulled whatever it's just like how we live never mind that I'm um plus size so like finding underwear that is like at all comfortable is incredibly difficult so just buy some new underwear like yes yeah feel good feel pretty I love that I love that. You deserve to feel comfortable. You deserve to feel pretty. I love that. Well, I just so appreciated all the different perspectives and conversation, you guys. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Clara, so much. Yeah. Really glad to have you on the Thank you both. This is awesome. Yeah. And thank you for sharing your thoughts with me. It's really awesome. This is like renewed. This was something nice. I did oh, yay. Without even knowing good, it was nice. good. Well, and thank you to our listeners. Please let us know what you think, what, um, you know, what, what self-doubt looks for you and how you try to take care of yourself and protect yourself from an unhealthy amount of it. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear what you think about this topic. Our website is mommingwellfeminist.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Momming While Feminist. Let's have each other's backs this week. And take care of yourself. Bye.